Hello, this is Sean and Justin, and this is Dot Matrix, and we're back in 2013, episode 52. Hello, stranger. <laughs> Can't believe the last podcast we recorded in post. Well, of course, posting happens later than recording. Yeah. Was in December. Yeah. Wow. And I guess we thought, well, you know, we'll get back to it. It's December. What's going on in January? But I was totally, totally busy in January, and I'm sure you had a number of things going on. But uh, I'm wow. thank you for assuming that I was a busy person. Of course, <laughs> of course. Why wouldn't I? You're Justin. <laughs> oh, but it's spring. It is spring, and it's gorgeous. Gorgeous outside. Yeah. I had the nicest, I mean, we're recording this just after the long weekend, the Easter long weekend, and right. uh, sun from beginning to end, and uh, just, like, you can't help but, ha- but be in a good mood all weekend. And, like, everyone was out, the sun was shining, I made it to Crate and Barrel, <laughs> ah. try that, see that new place out, and it is ungodly expensive. Like, oh, I, yeah. I just, I look at, oh, that's a nice plate. $15, you know, like whatever. It just, yeah. Um, you know, I had to spend Monday at uh, Steveston. Just oh, nice. Beautiful time out there. Just, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Elaine's been talking about Crate and Barrel because we went to it in San Fran, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. So, uh, it's interesting. I guess, yeah, I mean, I'm, there's going to be some things, I guess, you can find there that you wouldn't find other places, perhaps, or. Well, it's sort of like you think about the um, the pro- progression of um, Old Navy to Gap to Banana Republic, right? Yeah. Like in terms of you know ages and uh, stage in life, how much income you have. Like when you're just you know when you're in university, you kind of go Old Navy. When you get your first couple of job, you go to the Gap, and then you're starting to earn income. And then when you made it to middle management, you start going to Banana Republic. It's the idea, right? They, and that whole company gets you. <laughs> You know, from your entire life cycle, right? Basically. Yes. And I think it's the same thing because I don't know um, who owns Crate and Barrel or whatever, but, you know, there's CB2, which is Crate and Barrel 2, right? Right. And that's where I got my outdoor couch for the backyard. Nice couch. I love it. Uh, And and it's sort of for that more 20-something, the urban living person. Yeah. Who might not have as much income, so the prices aren't as expensive. But it's still, it's definitely high, higher than IKEA, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and the quality's better, mm-hmm. uh, and it's more compact because it's supposed to be in more like apartments and condos. That's okay. what CB two right. is. But Crate and Barrel is the Banana Republic, I think, or or you know that oh. topper end because it is okay. a bit more expensive, better, a bit of a better quality. Quality, you know the the furniture is full sized. Yeah. Not that you know CB two isn't full sized, but you know like it's it's for homes, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah, more fully furnished homes, I guess. You could so say. one day I hope to buy from there, but it's not quite get yet. There. Get there. You made it post IKEA. So. I did. I made it post IKEA. Well, and I bought my, you know, well, we didn't record this because it happened after I guess we recorded, but on Boxing Day I, I bought my first ever dining room chairs that weren't from IKEA. Right. right. And I got that at West Elm. That Which was is, a you know, big moment. It was a huge moment. <laughs> sitting there in Boxing Day, sitting on this chair, and made that last-minute decision to just go for it. Good. Yeah, it was awesome. 
And I love that couch outside. Like, well, even just those one or two movies we saw, we'll see a lot more yes. coming up. We're going to watch some Shawshank. Yes, yes. There's so many movies we have to oh, watch outdoors. So many. And um, and I've got a I've got a plan. I've been I've sketched it out oh, to good. have these patio lights, string lights. Oh right, you're saying yeah. I'm gonna order them online from the states and uh, six of them. And they're gonna be this W That's from cool. my patio to the fence patio fence patio. Yeah. And uh, um, it it's gonna rock. It's That's gonna be like be cool. Really subdued and classy and romantic if it needs to be, friendly when it's just casual. It's going to be, I'm going to host the summer parties oh. to end all summer parties oh my God. in a classy way. Oh my God. I'm so excited. <laughs> That's good that you mentioned. Yeah, because summer parties is what we need. We're going to get there. It's going to be exciting. Gonna be great. It's gonna be classy drinks. It'll be kid friendly. You know, people can come early, stay late. Oh, I love the stay late part. <laughs> There'll be drinks. There'll be a movie after the at night. You know, it's gonna yeah. be perfect. Oh, so exciting! I have a little bit of time off in May, so I think I'm gonna spend that time oh. getting it all set up. Oh, okay. that's that's my idea. Perfect. Well, that's a good time to do it anyway. Just get like the yard in shape, I guess. Even though I know you've worked on it and um, up till the fall or something, right? Yeah, and I just, you know, the, because it's been so beautiful, like I was out in, uh, sorry, this podcast is about like odds and ends, home air, garden. home and garden. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I ended up doing a lot of weeding because our the garden in the back, whoever planted it before we moved in uh, must have taken a lot of pride and we just let it <laughs> grow out and become savage. But we finally this year, I actually took the time and weeded it, so mm. it's actually a little bit cleaner. Right. So, hopefully, it's helpful. Awesome, awesome. Well, there's so much kind of going on right now. I mean, yes. Elaine and I are looking for just a place to live. Yes, yes. Because since our last podcast, not only were you in Hawaii for holidays, you sold your place while you were in Hawaii. Yeah. So I mean. Where does it stand now? I mean, you've sold, and yep. are you officially renters now, or are you still yep. you're officially renters in your right old now, place? We are renters in our old place, sans rent, which is kind of cool. That was part of the offer, so we are. Oh, not, I didn't know that actually. Cool. Yeah, we're not paying a mortgage. We're not paying rent. We are living, saving money. Wow. Until as late as June first. So okay. we're hoping to find a place, uh, you know, before that, obviously, because uh, we want to make sure that we have time to move and it won't sure. be like this big rush at the end. So we'll be going to look at more properties this weekend. And yeah, it's just a, a matter of just getting out there and seeing what's there. And I, there's more streaming in now. Okay. Um, I was going to ask you what the status was in terms of the marketplace. Yeah, it's, a, you know, it's, there's always stuff. I mean, people. Even no matter what market, you know, people are going to need to sell. You know, situations happen and sure, circumstances yeah. come up. It's like, well, I got to sell. I got to move. I got to move. So I got to be in another city. I, who knows, right? Yeah. So there's always going to be people looking to sell. And it is still, I would think, a buyer's market right now. Although it's a little bit slow. Um, uh, the uh, HST is gone now. So, um I, and, you know, just with spring happening, I think 
you know, we put up our place in February, which is kind of before the onslaught. And I think right now there will be uh, more stuff coming in and um, more more to pick from. Because right now, you know, we're seeing some postings where there might be two or three suites in one building. Right. You know, and it's kind of like, okay, well, we've seen a couple, it's, you know, we already aren't happy with going into it that building for various reasons. We're not going to really go and check out those other ones. Right. Things like that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's going okay. And I'm hoping that, yeah, sometime this month we'll find a place and we'll try to get going. Yeah, yes. lots kind of going on. Wow. Yeah. As you said, two things in that story, which can lead us into two different directions. One is HST, visit it's back, and we can talk about that. Or the PST, yeah. and GST is now back. Right. Uh, so we can go in that direction. But you're yeah. also talking about finding a new place, and a new apartment, or a new condo. And you know, the most famous person who has a new condo is the Pope Emeritus. <laughs> so we can talk about that. I just had to make that loose, loose tie in. Very same way. <laughs> or yeah. we can talk about a whole slew of things. Well, the only thing I'd have to say about the Pope... Yes. ...is that, you know, they, he apparently focuses on the poverty issue. Yes. Which, hey, sure, that's cool. <laughs> hey, uh, poverty. It's cool. That's good to hear. Okay. Um, but apparently he's fanatically anti-gay marriage. You know, the classic staples of Catholicism. So, we'll... Uh, I don't know. I don't really ever really pay attention to Popes, like, ever. Except when... They happen to be on the news. and, um, But I do... Actually, that's not true. I pay attention to how much popes don't do enough to get rid of things like, you know, child molestation, uh, <laughs> those kind of things. They're, they're too busy at the top, I guess. Well, I find how, how the topics can be so different and so separated and segregated. Like, yeah, you don't agree yeah. in the gay lifestyle or gay marriage... But you have people of the cloth who represent your doctrine who are, in some cases, you know, molesting children of the same gender. Yes. And that's, I mean, it's not okay, obviously, but it's like, it's, it's, cover, overlooked. it's overlooked or cover up, or it's cover upable, you know Lost what I mean? over. And, and I don't, so, and I, I know they're very separate issues, but, or at least they're seen as separate issues, but there's... There's an interconnectedness of topics here, yeah. uh, which I don't understand. Um, and then I, I had to look this up on Google, and I couldn't find a good enough answer. But I Googled, you know, uh, reasons for traditional marriage plus procreation. Procre it's come up a lot in the, uh, in the Supreme Court cases right now in the U.S. They're, they were arguing uh, Prop 8, in the, in yes. the, the constitutionality of Prop 8. And also the uh, constitutionality of DOMA, um, a Defense of Marriage Act, and uh, one of the arguments coming out has been a lot more about the you know the sanctity of traditional marriage because it's an act of procreation, right? And I always think about well, you know, and everyone says, well, what about the seniors who fall in love and they've passed you know passed menopause? They're not going to you know procreate. Do, does, does their marriages not count? Yeah. And I've heard some answers to it, but I've always forgotten what that is. And so I don't quite get that, and, and you can't find an easy, easily find an answer to what's the justification there. Um, and also, but marriage doesn't... Uh, 
marriage is not what creates children. It's the act of sex that creates children. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, right. And so <laughs> a piece of paper doesn't mean, great, you have now conceived a child. <laughs> right. I mean, they link, in the, in the religious context, they link sex before marriage as a no-go. But that's right. linking two things. Yes. So marriage is not the same thing as conceiving a child. <laughs> so I don't quite get how that's even... Re- it's like, and like I always say, like, oh, you know, oh, the uh, uh, the Blue Jays lost today, so I don't like tea. Like, two unrelated <laughs> things. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah. I, I still don't get that, but anyways. That's interesting. I just, I just, you know, look at families who have been scarred by all the, the evil uh, uh, behavior passed upon children the hundreds of, like they say up to like hundreds of thousands of kids i don't know what the number is but it's just like over the decades it's just i just don't you know i know people who are catholic just want to be like you know i i'm just associating with the religious side just the faith right but i just don't understand how you can it's hard to say, like, because I, I, we know Catholics, and I don't want to disrespect any people we know, but I, it's like, how can you align with something that's just so tarnished? I mean, you know what I mean? And but you, you know, they, they're you, those people obviously looking on the positives if there are positives of Catholicism, it comforts them or whatever it is. But there's there's just this big elephant in the room with all the nastiness about it, and and the crime that's been going on that whenever I think Catholicism, all I think of is ruined children. You know, that's all that comes into my head. Everything else just, it's just so just beside the point. So, and I just think it will take hundreds of years for that to, for that to be forgotten, not forgotten, hopefully it'll never be forgotten, but at least getting over that hump. Like, I just... It, there's just so much damage inflicted and 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 so much cover-up. I saw an interesting thing on 60 Minutes, actually, about this. About um, these this group of American nuns that are really? actually um, nuns on the bus or something. I was going to say, they were on the bus, right? Yes, yeah. yes, I've seen that. So they actually were talking to this Catholic priest, leader, guy, whatever, in Seattle... Because he says that, you know, although he respects the nuns, they're causing problems. Right. Because they're, they're, the, there's the, the other issue, which is the inequality yeah. of, you know, if you're a woman and you're Catholic, you're, you're not as equal. It's just the way it is. And, and there's uh, barriers to ascending into very strong leadership roles. Uh, like, oh yeah, like we were talking about the uh, the the conclave, and and I was surprised as anyone that Ewan McGregor didn't become the new pope because I saw <laughs> Angels and Demons, and I assumed that was going to happen. Anyways, <laughs> but v- v- Vanessa was saying like, oh yeah, and as the the popes, whatever he, um, he or she, I'm like, no no, there's no she, it's just he. <laughs> She's like, oh right, yes, yeah. and it's one of those rare circumstances still in the world. Yeah. Where, uh, I mean, and 
I mean, it's not rare. It's actually quite common still in a lot of things. So uh, I won't be so naive to know that there's pure equality in the world. Uh, but it is one of those very glaring cases where it's just out of step, right? And I think people talk about the church, the Catholic church in particular, and I think that's very different from Christianity broadly or other parts of Christianity. Yeah. Uh, Protestant church, and there's, there, I, you know, I, there's a bunch. There's a bunch out there. Uh, as you can tell how informed I am about religion. Uh, I always joke because I always say like, yeah, I I thought my mom was Buddhist, but then I realized she was Baptist. It started with a B. <laughs> and you were like, those are very different. I'm like, yeah, I know, apparently they are. <laughs> but, uh, you know, people talk about the church, you know, being out of line, out of step with, with today's society. And they, they quote, the, the the equality of women is one piece of that sure. um, and it has become a, a hierarchy and, and a concentration of wealth within the Vatican and other places and so there is the whole you know going leaning towards supporting the poor which I think is a noble act but I, I as I go old grow older I become less and less enchanted by charity and philanthropy and more uh, more engaged with recipro- reciprocal and cooperative principles, which is more about everyone has something to contribute. Mm. And you trust that every connection you make will not in one instance have an equal exchange of benefit for everyone. But right. over time, you trust that that will happen. Right. And that's a much healthier way of, of, of building connections with people and, and community. So, you know, the philanthropic, you know, we're going to help the poor implies the poor need help. Which, I mean, everyone needs help, whether or not you're rich or poor. Yes. You need help. And we're the ones who can give it. Like, we know best. Oh, and, and, right. you know, And so the charitable model it doesn't really uh, lend itself to thinking about the nuances of society, I mm. think. And, and so, I, I, so even though, you know, like, you know, focusing on the poor, although noble and wonderful, it still, as a person, it rubs me the wrong way a little bit because it just, it's so one-sided. And it so proclaims one way over another, right? Uh, but I think all that aside, really, what will help the Catholic Church at least get some moral relevance in society is to own up to all that shit with the abuse and all that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, seriously, the Pope just has to say, what we, I mean, not say it was shitty, but like, say, like, really heartfelt and, uh, apology and then actually act on that apology with some sort of reconciliation process or something because without doing that you will never become relevant to society which kind of knows that that stuff ain't kosher <laughs> yeah <laughs> not yeah. to mix religions but, uh, yeah. but like it's just yeah you can never be relevant you can start being on twitter you can actually ascend women into leadership roles i would say but that still would not make you relevant until you dealt with that crap. Yes. Like, you have to. It just, it's yeah. like... And it, it's astounding that it was never really properly dealt with. It's just, you know, they, they, do, they just don't want to know. They just can't deal with it. They don't know how to do it. It's just amazing. Like, when you, when you see them talking to that priest, it's like, the, he, he's just so guarded about everything. Like, he talks like a CEO. It's like in a defensive mode, right? Right. You know, and it's, it's just, I don't know why they, they can't be more open-hearted, open-minded, just a little more human. 
But don't people ask for forgiveness all the time in tr- in the Catholic Church? Don't they have those rooms where you you talk to the Father? You know, I have yeah. sinned, and like yeah. they pra- they thank you. <laughs> Can you tell how much I <laughs> I mean, you know, Sophia Petrillo went into the confession all the time with the Golden Girls, and I forgot the term, so <laughs> it's been a while. Um, but like, it's a it's a known entity, an act, and uh, within the, the church. So why can't the church itself confess and say we have sinned, right. we have done? You know, it's it's completely acknowledged as something you can do to try to. It's that first step to being forgiven, to still being able to go to heaven, and all the stuff you do. You say hail marys, whatever, whatever that is that you do after that. Um, like, I mean, it's there. It's just do it for yourself. Yeah, I <laughs> you know? know. I know. I don't know how many documentaries, exposés, you know, how many how many different ways it's going to show up in the press, how many different ways we're going to hear about it. There's just that one step. You know, they can throw archdiocese, whatever, priests in jail, like in Boston and Ireland and wherever it's going on, but it just doesn't get any further than that it seems right it just it's just it just it's capped at a certain level on the ladder right and it just never it never makes it to where it actually should go where it actually should come from and i i don't know i think i i just don't i mean i don't even know what to even think about any of that stuff but you think of it, there's a billion people on this planet that follow it in in a number of different ways. Some are more moderate, some are way more conservative. But it, they're following it knowing that this still is, is going on, probably. And there's a lot that I'm sure feel helpless about what they can do about it. You know, what are they going to be able to do? They're going to talk to their priest in their local church or whatever. And where is that going to take it? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't even know. I think a lot of people feel like so uh, kind of like yeah, it's like they like a, like a, maybe a sense of despair. It's like I'm Catholic, but I feel like shit. You know, yeah. it's like I I should feel happy, but I always have this. There's got to be this always weighing on my mind, like this dark cloud, like the the abuse situation, right? Anywho. Let's uh let's siphon off into uh, happier topics. Politics, maybe? <laughs> so there's a couple of things going on. Well, one, I, I mean, we've talked about the HST and it going down. And, right. And um, I voted for crashing and burning that tax. And, you know, and I, I can talk about that for a while. And I know people who completely disagree and it was, uh, you know, the best tax. But anyways, process over, over outcome. That's always my thing. Yeah. Um, but there is an election coming up, of course, yeah. and uh, there is a liberal leadership race coming up where Joyce Murray is hanging in there yeah. federally against, um, against Trudeau. Trudeau. Um, where do you want to take this? Well, what do you want to talk about? I, let's, let's, let's talk about the federal level first. Okay. I read a quote the other day where she's like, this race is between me and Justin Trudeau, and I totally believe that. She's got a lot of backers, David Suzuki, no less. It's pretty interesting. I read up, like, I know uh, she's in your writing. 
Yes. I read up on her a bit. Like, she was in a straight magazine. Like, she's actually hit quite a few different publications. Yep. Talking about her history, um, environmental history, her, uh, her ways of creating businesses or jobs. or uh, it's, It sounds impressive. Did she um, have a tree reforestation company or something? Exactly. That's what it is, yeah. So it's kind of in that sector, which is great. I think, hey, if she really gets that and she's she's the only one that's really into this kind of cooperation between the left center to center left parties um which you know it's is an interesting thing that she's gotten this far with stating that um i, th- I still think that justin trudeau is going to win the leadership but i think it this really raised her profile and but here's the, here's what i think about justin trudeau though it, it, it's kind of like the liberals are damned if they do and damned if they don't. Because he's really popular, and I get why. He's a good-looking man. He's, he's got a lot of exuberance, enthusiasm. He's, he's young. You know, he's only, what, 40, 41? Um, I get all that, but at the same time, I still do think he's a bit... I don't want to say green... <sighs> but a, still a bit kind of almost naive in some ways. And I think he is a bit short on substance. I think he can gain that with experience, even more experience. I think he means well. I actually like the guy, but I don't think this him... It's, it's weird. Like, he's got the name, he's got the history, but I actually don't think any of that's really going to help the liberals in a way. Right. I think, yes, they would win more seats next time around. Because, I mean, anyone's going to do better than Ignatia. <laughs> I think the liberals have just kind of shot themselves in the foot a number of times since Paul Martin was prime minister. Since that kind of went down. And I think they've just never really been able to latch on a proper direction. Right. And I don't think he's going to be necessarily effective as he would need to be in a leadership role, I think he would probably have a very checkered uh, leadership, if not prime ministerial role. Right. That's kind of my view. Mm. <laughs> as Justin ponders. <clears throat> well, I agree he's going to win. I agree he'll win the first ballot. And Joyce Murray is... The only other alternative. Um, but it's like 90 to 10%. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it, yeah. it's still quite lopsided. And I, you know, I've never been a great Joyce Murray fan, as you know. But, you know, her biography is coming out more and more in this process, which is helpful for her. Because it makes me, before I would basically position Joyce Murray as hold my nose and just check her name off. Because yeah, I yeah. cannot stand Deborah Marin. And she does not deserve to ever be an MP because she does absolutely little work for for the job. Uh, to actually maybe where I think checking for Joyce Murray is a legitimate option. So sure. so she's really helped herself get her biography out there. So good on her for that. Um, <clears throat> I agree with your points about like they are liberals are damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. It really just depends on what does Trudeau do in the first. 
number of months when he wins the leadership race. Yeah. Uh, because what has been really disenfranchising or, or discouraging is the the kind of empty vesselness that is Justin Trudeau. Yeah. Because yeah. he has said, and, you know, because we didn't talk about the HST stuff, and you know I'm all about process, process, process. I, it resonates with me that he will say, you know, I want the Liberal Party, once I become leader, I want to go through a process where the Liberal Party members help really legitimately craft uh, the platform of the party. And so I agree with that statement. That is absolutely fine. But then you can't, but you can all, you, it doesn't mean you cannot state what your beliefs are. Because part of being a leader is to articulate what your vision is. People have to rally around your vision. And you can consult with people and get variations on a theme. Yes. But you need to clearly articulate who you are and what you believe in. Because, yes, process is important. That's, that you can have that process. But it's about human beings. It's about a human person be, that, you, that people need to believe in. And right now, all you're believing in is the look, the brand, the name. And that, well, you know, he's generally a nice, decent, articulate guy. But, you know, uh, it, are we getting an inspirational leader who can really help drive a party and bring clarity to a vision? Or are we getting a Sam Sullivan? <laughs> oh. Which, and again, great biography, but such a dud of a mayor in yeah. uh, Vancouver. And, yeah. and, I mean, he might have done great things uh, uh, behind the scenes or whatever, but uh, articulating that uh, when, and saying that, the I've said this before, like the proudest moment is that when he flew the, flew the flag, the Olympic flag in Torino, does not make a great mayor. <laughs> And, um, you know, at least, you know, when you see Gregor Robertson in Vancouver and his council, whether you believe in his ethics or his, his political views or not, mm. they're trying stuff. They're doing things. Oh, 100%. And, and I don't, I, I disagree with things and have been proven wrong and happen to be proven wrong. Like the bike lane over at the Broad Bridge. Hey, I was totally against it. But generally it's working and it's not causing me a lot of grief. Of course, I'm not going over it every day, but... When I do, it's not as horrible as I thought, right? Sure. So, um, so you know, I don't know, Justin Trudeau, you can't, like, I don't know, like, if I was applying for a job to head up an organization, right, and one of the best things about that process is to be able to articulate to the hiring committee, and in a political leadership realm, the hiring committee is the membership, what your vision is like that's one of the first questions you ever ask a ceo an executive director of an organization or whatever is where do you see this organization going mm -hmm. and especially and it's a great ana analogy because in the end the executive director of an organization needs to have a driving vision but it's something that the board which is a you know 12 person or a voluntary uh, group of people who actually that's their role is to set that vision and it's the executive director that actually executes it so when you're going through this hiring process, but you need to know that that executive director has a vision that that can coalesce with what you have as a as a membership. Yes. Right. So, yeah. like, it's happening in almost every context, and it's not a not unaligned to a lead, a leadership role in in a political party. Like, I I believe 
in what you're saying because I believe it too. So I'm going to vote for you as the leader and trust that then you will guide a process that will have my voice represented or that I can contribute to. Um, and he's showing, he's saying the second thing, but he's not doing the first thing. And I think you cannot do, <laughs> you can't do one. You have to do both. Huh. That's interesting. So, that's a very interesting point of view. Very well articulated. Seriously, that's... I don't know. <laughs> but, but, you know, like, he, you need to go on Solomon's show, uh, <laughs> Power and Politics, like, really explain to people, like, how, how it's coming, how he's coming off, you know what I mean? Because that, that's what's going on, like, that just blows away a bunch of those silly opinion pieces in the Globe and Mail. My goodness. Well, oh and I, I think the tough thing, though, is because he's such a front-runner that when when political adversaries, so other candidates who run, yeah. like, what's his name, Mark Arno, who was the big critic of that point, yeah. like, where's your vision? Where's your vision? And it, he's the wrong messenger for that in some yeah. respects. Like, it has he to, realized it. And, and it wasn't doing him any favors, right? It wasn't so. doing anybody any Totally. And he, I thought, oh, wow, he just dropped out just like that. He was the most vocal critic. But then what you just said makes sense. He wasn't the right messenger for that. And the fact is, the Liberal Party just don't have many at all to really be uh, Canada's natural governing party, right? Like, yeah. I, I think that, you know, we're kind of riding Trudeau mania again, and even the first... If he, He'll be elected leader. The first few months will be like, oh, it doesn't do that. But then they're going to get back legislature in the fall. And we'll see where these last year and a half, by that point, the last year and a half will go before the next election. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much they can do in that time, but. I think it's really going to heat up. I think heat up because they'll have very little time to get a vision, and a, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. And a, a like a set of policies and, and all this kind of stuff like a there's it's essentially going to be a year and a half long campaign for them. Yeah, you know, and I, I was thinking about that point, like who is the right messenger, and I think of uh, my mind went to like you know if during this leadership race, if like you know fifty riding presidents wrote an open letter that they all signed on to and said, you know, Justin, we want you to win. We want to support you, but you got to tell us what you believe in because that's an important part of the decision-making process. That would have been the right messenger or one of the right messengers if it came from a critical mass of party presidents or riding presidents. Uh, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of political parties and all, but but then I kept thinking, but but the point also is, you know, what's been going on in in the federal level with, you know, the, the controversy a couple of days ago where... You know, that MP, conservative MP wanted to open up the uh, abortion issue around uh, whether or not it's make it illegal for um, sex selective abortions or something. Right. And uh, the part, the committee voted it down, and then there, he was crying out that MPs are being muzzled and that yeah. sort of thing. And, and, you know, and partly the problem is that there is no, uh, the system and the mechanisms of party politics doesn't allow for that to even happen, right? Where if MPs are being muzzled on a daily, daily basis, and, and I legitimately think that's a, an issue that's happening that we have to really be concerned about in our democracy, uh, then there's no way party presidents will ever self-organize a 
even if it's for a candidate, but just telling him to just come on, give us something. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, probably a no-go message uh, that, that um, because you, you don't want to sign on to that letter. And if he takes it the wrong way, and then you're, you know, those 50 ridings get less money from them oh, yeah. or whatever, right? Like oh, yeah. there are levers that you can play in party politics, whether it's provincial, federal, or what have you, that is just still right now poisoning the, the system that doesn't allow for critical thought or good questioning. Like I, and I don't know what it is in the, the parliamentary system in the UK, but what I remember watching, like this rare occasion, I was, I think I was living in Ottawa at the time, and they would show on, on our Canadian version of the parliamentary channel, like uh, like CPAC in the CPAC, States, yeah. right? But it's like called it's, something different. Is it CPAC here? I, I think remember. it is CPAC here, actually. And they were showing the question period in the UK. Yeah. And I thought it was fascinating. Tony Blair was prime minister at the time. And it, they have so many more MPs there than they do in Canada, in, in Ottawa. Right. But there was an MP from the Labour Party asking a question to Tony Blair. His own party. Yeah, so his own, like, one that never happens here. No. And so, I mean, if it's that true. at all, if, if that is at all common, then it speaks to the ability for some sort of constructive dialogue yeah. within your own party, and that should be okay. I. It's crazy, because after that first guy complained about being muzzled, literally, the next day, they came out of a, a meeting and were like, they're like praising the guy. Yeah, it was he's the best leader ever. And we're in a majority, which is the best. best leader ever. Best leader ever. Like, I couldn't believe my eyes and ears. And they even had, they showed on the national, they had um, at, at issue or whatever. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. Like the woman that said woman's, great. Yeah. The like, number of times she said yeah. the word great. <laughs> yeah. Oops, I'll have to fix that. Um, yeah, it's... And that's and the Adjipano was saying exactly what what I think we're saying, which is it's embarrassing. How would anyone even want to be an MP? Because you have no ability to have critical thought. Um, yeah. I I do think some of the committee work, a lot of good things can happen, uh, but it's so under the radar, no one ever sees it, and um, and then the only glamorous job is if you are uh, a minister or something if you ever are lucky enough to be government that's right uh and even those you know ministers have very little uh, screen time in the public yeah except for the finance minister and maybe john baird and and the immigration guy too i know is oh yeah jason kenny yeah yeah and and it's a much smaller circle like like i remember in the christian years and you know i was never a fan of the inspirational leadership that was John Critchin. Uh But he had at least a dozen ministers you could name and you knew who they were and they were talking and, you know, they weren't always on script or on point. Uh, but at least they had a voice and you knew who they were. That's right. No, absolutely. And now, and they're investigating the allegations of scientists oh, being God. muzzled as well. The point that you have to even <laughs> investigate that, that is troubling. I mean, it's. I mean, from an outsider who haven't really been following it, to me, I feel like, oh yeah, of course that's happening. Like, of I, course that's happening. You know what I mean? Like, I remember, and they showed uh, last fall. They showed uh, the parliamentary because they had a bunch of protests, and then this parliamentary secretary spokesman or whatever went on one of the CBC, and she's like, 
no, no, they're not being, you know, my and and I'm like, you are totally just following a script, you know, it's it's so obvious <laughs> that this is the most like undemocratic government, the most actually they campaign on transparency, and they're actually the most secret government. They're they're the most centrally controlled from the prime minister's office government, like. It is unbelievable. I, I mean, I won't go on, but I just think that they're going to self-implode, I think, or they're going to just, they're going to just crumble. Like, they're going to do it to themselves. The robocall thing, that could get ugly. Like, the guy in the National said yesterday, because they had, you know, this one dude, this junior campaigner guy, you know, for some reason had access to all the you know the passwords or whatever get in and make those calls and stuff it's like and he's like not bloody likely this is heading for the top you know right and i am so eager for that like i can't believe that after all this you know pure poutine and this investigation right ends up this one junior staffer gets right. charged are you kidding me seriously well, you know, I think that, that again comes down to leadership and that whole point is like, like you as a leader set the tone and part of the job vetting is telling us what you believe in, which sets the tone of the culture of every little thing that happens yeah. and whether or not Stephen Harper knew anything about it or not, or if it really was legitimately a junior staffer that, that really caused it, that junior staffer is being informed by the culture in which he works. And, and you know... what he was saying. And, and that comes from the top. It just is. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, like, I've always talked about Joy McPhail and the provincial government, how I really couldn't stand her because she refused to resign when kids were dying when she was the minister. At some point, you've got to say, children are dying in the Ministry of Children and Family, and I... Even though I'm not the person who made that happen, I've set the tone here... That that's acceptable. And it's not, and I will resign because of it. Then you run again and you try, and you know, maybe you can... Different portfolio or whatever. Yeah, or, or you resign and then the government says, you know, the premier says, you know, you've, you've done the noble thing here. You've fallen on your sword and you've, set, you've helped change the culture by saying that this is not right. And, you know, but she didn't do that. She's all this sort of stuff, right? Um, but, like, your leadership sets the tone and what you believe in is part of setting that tone. Uh, you know, I think about the other thing is, is you know, Christy Clark, uh, yeah. whether she's wearing a Canucks jersey or not. Uh, you know, the whole thing about that, you know, this, the, the quick wins around ethnic votes if you apologize for these sort of things. You know, that whole thing that came out like last month that was a big controversy. And, and how much tax... Outreach? Yeah, the outreach, yeah. ethnic outreach and using government resources to... And government uh, announcing, announcement on... You know, apologies of real significance to cultural uh, communities here in British Columbia. Right. Um, and to use that for political means to get votes later for more, right? And and there's the whole report that came out and that that, that, that strategized what that could look like. And, and you know, maybe there was like a $20,000 worth of government resources that went into that. And, you know, and she apologized many, many times, right? And She's had to apologize for a lot lately. So it's, it's really unfortunate for her. Uh, but... You know, again, someone sets the tone. I mean, yes, I, I probably legitimately believe that Chrissy Clark didn't know anything about it. But, you know, if there's 
people under her who think that that is okay to even discuss, then you haven't set the right tone. And very close to her, apparently, because the one that um, one lady that they they named right off the bat yeah. was like a right hand yeah, person like a, to her for years. Communications director or something <laughs> like that. Even and, when she was running for mayor here, and I'm like, and sending emails from your personal account. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a big no no. I'm like. That's a, I read, I read it is anyway in those political columns. Like that's, if you do that, that's messed up. I mean, if you're doing government business, you use government emails. It's just the way it is. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's astounding that that hasn't been called out more. Well, and then the auditor general or whoever was, who was looking into some other things, or maybe this in particular said that the Christie Clark government has had, has the least extensive paper trail on any decisions it's ever made like versus yes. any government i'm like there are protocols here like you have to yeah. document everything yeah yeah like, and that i i heard about that and it's 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 shocking <laughs> and and that's again the tone and the culture it comes from the top whether or not you had something to say about it or not if you continue to say i don't Oh, yeah, don't tell yeah. me so I don't Your know <laughs> or or whatever that's part of setting a tone that's part of the culture you're creating yeah and it just boggles the mind. It's oh, like Oh, I know. Anyways. Well, we should probably uh <laughs> probably wrap. I think we've gotten quite a lot in. I feel good. I no, feel, this, I feel you were on fire sorry. today. No, no, seriously, like, it's good. It's good. You had a lot of sorry. clear, concise viewpoints and it was really awesome. You helped me understand a few things that I oh I uh, didn't uh, know how to look at them exactly, but like in the political world there, but um, all I, I can just say happened is... to be very uh, articulate today for some reason. I have no idea. <laughs> no, it's good. You're, you're on fire. I uh, I'm looking forward to the next federal election. I'll just end on this. Yeah. Me because uh, I think we haven't fully seen what Mulcair is capable of, and I I happen to like Mulcair. I'm not really thinking about the fact he's an NDP guy, or you know, like I'm almost thinking like. I would, and I said this when they won, got second place last time. I would like to see them have a have a shot at it. I really would. And I think he's he's got uh, got, uh, got a lot of balls and a lot of nerve, and I think <coughs> he can really mix things up. So that's what I I'm hoping uh, that they have a good chance of winning this one. Well, I think if there was human nature involved in anything, we've dabbled in the conservatism, oh, man. and you know. We will swing very much on the other way, as human beings tend to do, mm-hmm. uh, and go NDP. I think they will have one kick at the can, yep. whether or not it's a minority government or yep. a one majority. Yep. And then, unless they, if they don't fuck it up, they might stick around for a little bit. But eventually, it will settle down to the liberals, if they can hold that middle ground. Yeah, because most people are the middle ground. You know, it's just it's just the way. Just the way it is. It's the it's the uh, the way the normal curve works in in most things in in nature. Yeah. And uh, I would and I look forward to seeing that swing a little bit. There's a you know I I to settle in in the middle eventually, right? I I'd like to see what what the NDP do could do federally because I think federally is where you set that again the tone and the culture of the country mm-hmm. and how it operationalizes is in the provinces. 
And so there could be a whole bunch of different things happening in provinces. But if the if the country has that more equitable, uh, cooperative, uh, compassionate. socialist, compassionate perspective, uh, you could live with a conservative provincial government. I mean, not exactly, but but like you know, it's it. There's a counterbalance. There's a potential balancing out here. Um, so, but interesting. But I, I mean, that's just the way we we're going one way. We're going to go swing the other way, and then we'll autocorrect somewhere down the middle. And whether that's the whether or not the NDP autocorrects itself and sits right. that middle, or or the Liberal Party regains its footing in that center, sure. um, that's where there will be another decade of something in the middle. Because I don't see the Conservative Party gravitating to the center. Uh, it's just not. I don't see they it. They don't happening. move. Although there, a lot of people think that Harper is actually way less conservative than he should be. Right. You know, like true conservatives think he's he's kind of like the big government you know, lots of spending you know like you yeah. name it but but i think it'll be very interesting and uh we'll no doubt uh talk about the federal level of politics many many times you know maybe once or twice a year before <laughs> before 2015 well we have to we have to agree to do another podcast at least in and around the provincial election in May. oh absolutely i would love to do one like it, 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 what are we, April? Like it, in about a month. Like yeah. the last couple of weeks is heating up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So well, let, let's totally plan to do that. Okay. Commitment. You heard it here. <laughs> and we will stick to it. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Great. Well, that was, that was very uh, arousing yeah. discussion. I enjoyed that as always. Um, so stay tuned until next time. Yeah. And, uh, all you socialists out there, all you Catholics out there, good and bad, and uh, we yeah. love you all. We love you all. You can find us on uh, uh, the dot matrix dot com and or on iTunes, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Absolutely. <laughs> Do 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 do